0: These are a couple of the most fascinating verses to me like basically in the entire New Testament. The uh, the language that's used here is incredibly provocative language that we normally associate with the with the sole and unique work of Jesus our Savior. And James is picking that language up and applying it to our life together as a community. And um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to slowly work through these because of how significant they are. Before I jump into that, it is Black History Month. And for uh, the entire time that I've been a part of Jacob's Well, which is uh, way back when things were getting started Twelve years ago or so, uh, we have celebrated and acknowledged Black History Month. We feel like this is an important thing, given the unique experience of our Black brothers and sisters in in our national history. This is an appropriate thing for the people of God uh, to do. For us as a multi ethnic church, it's just so so important to pause and to consider the rich legacy of uh, of especially of Black Christians. Um, and when I think of Black History Month, I think of two narratives that are just really important uh, when it comes to really understanding what our brothers and sisters have been through. Um, one is what we have called if you're with us in the fall, what we've called the narrative of racial difference It's language taken up from Brian Stevenson, a uh, wonderful kind of modern day civil rights uh, and civil rights activist and Christian and just a wonderful man. Um, and the narrative of racial difference is the reality that, as a nation, written into our founding documents was the dehumanization uh, was the lesser humanity of um, of particularly uh, African people um, brought here as slaves. Uh, that narrative of racial difference was then extended to other non white populations, and that's that is part of our legacy, and that shapes all of us in, to some degree. And uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time emphasizing um, how important it is to understand just how deep that narrative goes and just how much that has shaped our national history and just how much that explains the moment that we have found ourselves in this last year. Um, what some are calling kind of this, this modern day civil rights movement is... Um, is partially responding, not simply to events that have happened in the last year, but at a much deeper level uh, to that narrative that has shaped our nation so much. The other narrative that's really important is people call it different things, but uh, we we might call it the narrative of black excellence. The fact that um, in radical distinction from that narrative that has been told about our black brothers and sisters, um, that there is a rich legacy um, to To be mined from, to learn from of, um, of Black people in, in our nation's past. And this is why I just couldn't encourage you to, enough to take the opportunity in Black History Month to, uh, to pause on those Instagram accounts that are full of uh, narratives of of Black people who have done extraordinary things in this nation, to pause especially on uh, those that emphasize the, the legacy of the Black church in this nation um, which is a miracle it's a miracle the black church in this nation is an absolute miracle the way uh, that um, that faithfulness in Jesus was preserved in and through his church um, in spite of all of what was what was thrown at these brothers and sisters for literally centuries um clinging to Jesus uh, seeing the difference between the the true Jesus that they were worshiping and the Jesus who was um, the false Jesus, who is who is peddled to them in order to rationalize grave in, injustice, um, and yeah, the, there's so much to learn from there, and so. Uh, Two things that I would recommend to you uh, specifically that are kind of familiar to our community. One is Brian Loritz, Pastor Brian Loritz, whose book we read this past summer in a discipleship lab, Insider, Outsider. His Instagram account, if you fancy like that, if you have an Instagram account, he does a great job throughout uh, February of just posting wonderful narratives. Uh, This week I got to learn about Lewis Howard Latimer, who was... um, who was an inventor of both air conditioning and elevators, which you know, casual, um, just handle both of them back in the the late eighteen hundreds, and was a favored associate uh, engineer of Thomas Edison. It turns out there's a great story. Where Alexander Graham Bell tried to tried to take Latimer away from Edison um, because he was such a highly valued engineer. Uh, there's there's more where that came, plenty more where that came from. Couldn't encourage you enough to follow his account, especially during this month. Also Bridgetown, uh, Bridgetown Podcast. These are two kind of, uh, uh, Brian Loritz, um, that's spelled L-O-R-I-T-T-S. Um, and that's actually what his Instagram account is. It's just Loritz, just his last name. Thanks for asking, Jane. Second one is the Bridgetown podcast, which many of you are familiar with. Bridgetown is a church in Portland, Oregon, uh, very similar to our own with similar emphases They have been a rich resource to us in our discipleship course. Um, They have, yeah, it's just one of those weird things where even though they're thousands of miles away, they just have very similar ethos to our church and very similar discipleship emphases. And so we've used their stuff a bunch of times, and their podcast, I know, has become precious to many of you. Um, And they're doing, uh, what's cool right now about their podcast is they're doing this thing called the Bridgetown Daily uh, part of it is prayer practices, connection, abiding with Jesus stuff. And then part of it is Black History Month for February. I was like, well, here we go again with Bridgetown being so similar to us. It's like, we want to um, deeply engage Black History Month. And even this week, they had some beautiful stuff on there. But it's also going to help you uh, if you're a part of our discipleship course to learn some new prayer practices and to um, yeah, to just do that abiding that, that we began our discipleship talking uh, course, talking about this week. And so those are two great resources. Um, One person I just wanted to quickly highlight is John Lewis, uh, just a great hero of the civil rights movement that we lost in 2020. Uh, This was a year where I just learned a ton about him. He was someone who was trained as a pastor and uh, went to seminary and then found himself kind of taken up into the civil rights movement. John Lewis is famous for being part of uh, the Bloody Sunday March ar- across the, the the Pettus Bridge and uh, the movie Selma's is all about that. And he was part of that march. Uh, just a couple of years later, he was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington, or actually I guess it was before that. He was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington. And if there's one thing that I would encourage you uh, to do is uh, John Lewis, we know him as kind of an elder statesman. He was, a, he was a, in the House of Representatives for... Uh, what was it thirty three years until his death uh but he was he was a um he was the youngest speaker at the march on Washington in nineteen sixty three and you just gotta go listen to his talk um because uh here was a man who was just who most would say it was the radical speech- most radical speech given that day in fact it was censored a bit. Um, And yet, sort of woven throughout that speech, you can hear his deep, deep Christian faith. You can hear his deep commitment to the scriptures and to the things of God. And I just couldn't encourage you enough. He he sounds like a preacher, and yet he is prophetically um, calling an entire nation in many ways to repentance and change. And so if there's one thing that I would commend to you, it's go just look up John Lewis March on Washington speech. Um, would would be a, a great way to to enter into Black History Month. Um, reason why all of that feels especially relevant this Sunday is, uh, given this text that you just heard read, there is a sense of obligation to one another that I think is often lost for us. Um, whether that's in the modern church or you can you can sort of place that at at a lot of different things' feet. But let's just talk about Jacob's well. Is one of the things that I hope that this text will call us to is a greater sense of our connectedness to one another and, frankly, a greater sense of obligation to one another. Let me just read this back through. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Fascinating, first of all, that James would end his letter this way. This doesn't sound like how most letters in the New Testament end. Normally you have some kind of greetings at the end. You have some kind of um, oftentimes, frankly, anticlimactic ending to these letters, whereas this is a very climactic, very kind of mic-dropping way to end this letter. And what seems to be going on here is that while James has... Seemingly emphasized throughout this letter, our need for personal endurance in the midst of suffering, our need for personal repentance in the midst of our sin and rebellion. He wants to remind us, he wants ringing in our ears as we finish this letter, that we are not alone in that call to perseverance and to repentance. That in fact, we belong to a community, we belong to a family, we belong to the people of God. And that equally as urgent is our need to see our brother and sister at our right and left, to see that their uh, faith, that their perseverance, that their repentance, that their fleeing from sin is equally as important, is equally as urgent as our own. And this is just not something that we normally think of. This is not something that um, I'd imagine many of us feel as deeply as I think James wants us to feel it. You know, in some ways, probably the, the best way to think of this is if you jump back up into the passage, into verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then if you jump to verse 19, my brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Do you see how these are kind of two sides of the same of the same coin. One is we have to be willing to be known in our sin. We we have to be willing to actually confess our sin, to be known as sinners. But then, as the one sitting across from that, our brother or sister is expected to also feel obligated to call us out in our sin, in our wandering. That that is uh, that. That it's a two-way street, if you will, that we battle against sin not merely on our own, not merely as those called to confess, but we battle on behalf of one another as well as those who are called to call one another out. So, what what are we actually getting at here, my brothers? If anyone among you wanders from the truth, that's a pretty broad statement, but I think that what comes to mind when you hear that is is probably about what James is getting at wanders from the truth this means uh if you wander from the truth which he has laid out in this letter and so if if you are someone who strays from uh from from righteousness, if you stray, from perseverance. So he's talking about this is a pattern of um, unrepentant sin. This is a pattern of harmful behavior towards oneself or others. This is also wandering from the truth in the sense of wandering from, from the, the doctrinal truth of Christianity. Going off after other kinds of teaching that that actually may be at odds and may threaten our faithfulness to the truth of God's word. It's at least those kinds of things. This also might just be generally when we hear wandering. This is the word that Jesus uses again and again to speak of what sheep do, that we wander away, that we're deceived. That's that's another way that the New Testament translates this word, that we're constantly being told, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. That, right, this is, use that image of the sheep. This is when our eyes get attracted by some shiny thing and we begin to sort of wander off. This is the child in the department store with their parent um, suddenly seeing something that they want and and letting go of the hand of the parent and suddenly the parent turns around and where is the child, right? Wandering. This could also just be this general sense of leaving Christian community. And and those are the kinds of categories that I want us to have in mind. This is a brother or sister who doesn't show up to Sunday morning live week after week, who you don't see at community care group, who doesn't re-register for discipleship course and and doesn't have a good reason for that. This is someone who is wandering off into other kinds of teachings and you're either watching their reading list or their Facebook page or whatever and you're saying, where are you getting this stuff? This stuff seems at odds with, with the scriptures. This seems at odds with our commitment to be Christians. This is a brother or sister that you're watching again and again, a pattern of sin, a pattern of falling back into the same kind of temptations or falling back into the same kinds of harmful behaviors towards others. And what this is saying is we need to feel an obligation, but really it comes at it with this huge, beautiful reminder that when we do this, we are doing nothing less than saving the soul of that person and covering a multitude of sins. And we'll get into what all of that means in just one minute. But I wonder how many of us really feel this level of responsibility for one another. Insofar as this is the, this is the other side of a coin. one one there's, there's a bun. I don't want to over caveat this, but I do think that there's a couple important things to say here. One is this, that I don't think that we are necessary to feel this for every single person with whom we're in Christian community, right? Like we don't don't need people policing the, the entire community. But we do need to know that we are known deeply enough by at least a few brothers or sisters. And I think we at least need to be known deeply enough by one brother or sister, That they can see this kind of stuff. That they're up close enough in our lives that they see, that they can see a pattern of one of these things. That we, right, that there is, this is why it's so important to be confessing sin together. This is why it's so important to be pursuing deep friendship in Christian community. So that one day, when that shiny thing begins to take your attention away, there is a hand to pull you back. Couple of, what this doesn't look like is it doesn't look like us just constantly saying, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be doing that, and responding to every single you know social post or something like that. We're talking about wandering. We're talking about patterns of behavior. The image that I get here, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so if you'll allow me one football analogy. Um, it makes me think of what we need are teammates and not referees get this no go bucks um go chiefs uh what we need are teammates not referees right we don't need someone holding a yellow flag who's going to throw that yellow flag down on the field every time we we mess up instead what we need is a teammate who can come alongside of us and say hey i notice that you're really struggling with blocking and that you keep allowing the defender to get to the quarterback or whatever it is. I notice that you keep, you know, uh, that that the patterns you're trying to run if if you're a wide receiver, that that you keep breaking them off too early. Hey, let's work together on making that right. Do you hear how right a referee throws a flag, penalizes you, punishes you, has no personal investment in the outcome of your life, has absolutely uh, no interest in whether or not this helps you succeed or not. A teammate comes alongside of you and says, hey, we are. we have a shared purpose here and your continued pattern is hurting not just yourself, it's hurting all of us. That's when we're getting to that deeper level, is when we realize that others' sin, that others' wandering deeply impacts all of us. This is when we are beginning to truly embody the fact that we are a family of God, And I think that here we can say that James has particularly in mind the local church Expressing, He's talking about a church like ours, that we are a family. And that when one, wand- I can tell you the stories over, over a decade of this church, there are stories of those who have wandered. And some of you are those who have wandered and have been brought back in by a faithful brother or sister. There are others whose names some of us will never know because they wandered. And maybe some tried to pull them back in and they went off anyway. Maybe some had no one to pull them back in. But this is something that happens in the family of God. And if we don't care, then we are missing the fact that Jesus calls us not just individually as people. He calls us into a family and says, you got to care about that family because you're part of it now. Kind of whether you like it or not. And to be a good family member, like in any family, is not to be laser focused on just your stuff. You've got to have your eyes outward and care about the well-being of your brothers and sisters. And if we miss that, we miss something incredibly core to the Christian faith. Because here's the reality. While sometimes we are those who are being challenged like James is to extend the hand and reach back, if we find ourselves among those who are wandering, we want to be part of a community where someone will pull us back. And so let's build toward that now. Do you see how your potential good, your potential salvation from wandering is bound up in whether you're willing to do that work here now, willing to be part of setting that culture among your deepest friends at Jacobswell, among your community care group, among those at your discipleship course breakout table. This is where this stuff has to start. <laughs> I hesitate to use this example, but I think it's so memorable that we're just going to go with it. Um, so there you go. There's your caveat is I'm going to take a little uh, preaching risk here this morning. Earlier in James, James has uh, this this beautiful line at the end of uh, chapter one. James chapter one, verse 23. It says, He says, word of God is like a mirror on our lives. It shows us who we really are and who we are meant to be. If we look into it and we don't do what it tells us to do, if we sit in sermon after sermon, if we sit in discipleship course after discipleship course and never change, here's what we're like. We're like someone who looks at themselves in the mirror, right? Like picture when you first wake up. I don't know if you wake up like this, but I don't wake up like this, is someone who looks at themselves in the mirror, sees what's going on, and does nothing about it right there's foolishness in that to be like huh i look kind of awful what okay and you just walk away right like the point of a mirror is to help you get your get your stuff in order right like that's the analogy that james is using here you're wondering where's the risk this is the risk it makes me think of first of all right this isn't just individually true of us This is something that we're to be for one another. And what it makes me think of, and I am like 90% sure that this is from my mom. My mom will probably listen to this. Mom, if this isn't you, I'm sorry. I'll absolve you in advance, but I'm pretty sure this is my mom thing. My mom used to say, everyone needs a booger friend. And I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but you might be able to guess what a booger friend is. A booger friend is the kind of friend who will see what's going on and actually tell you, "Hey, you got a little you got a little something going on there." And we know that it takes a certain depth of relationship, right? You don't do this with your boss, you don't do this with, you know, the person online. Maybe some of you do. Good for you. You use that boldness for godly means and maybe not to shame strangers. But usually it takes a certain depth of relationship to to, to call someone out in that kind of way and to say, hey, you, you got you got one in the left there. You need to do bat in the cave. They, I was gonna say that, I resisted saying that. Yeah, you got a bat in the cave, right? How much? <laughs> my wife is laughing in the other room. How much more, right? Now go with me here. Don't get so distracted, but how much more do we need those who are willing to see ongoing patterns? of unrepentance, ongoing patterns of straying from the truth of God's word, ongoing patterns of separating themselves from Christian community, and have someone who knows them well enough to say, hey, you've got something going on that needs fixing. You've got to do something about that. We have to be those who have the courage, right? Here's, here's what... Here's what's too simple as human beings and what James is begging us not to do as the people of God is we can be around people our whole lives and only ever say things behind their back, only ever point out their shortcomings behind their back and never actually have the courage to look them in the face and say hey this is something that everyone sees is going on with you i'm actually going to be the one who loves you enough to say that ought not be let's figure out how to do better let's figure out how to get this out of your life let's figure out how to do things differently that's what james is calling us to hear." He's saying that the people of God have every reason to be those kinds of friends to one another. And then he uses language that should absolutely knock us back. He says, when you do this, you will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, as as, as good theologians, uh, we should pause and say that saving someone from their sin covering sin is absolutely the unique work of Jesus in a once and for all kind of way on the cross. That this is what Jesus did. This is what only Jesus in in one sense can do, which is he is the only one who can take on the sin as the perfect human being, as our perfect representative. He is the only one who can draw that all on himself, take it into the grave, and then rise victorious over all of us All of it and offer all of us forgiveness should we put our faith in Him. And yet, the unblushing, the the unapologetic teaching of this passage is that when we do the kind of thing that James is talking about here, it is one of the deepest opportunities we have to participate in the work of Jesus in each other's lives. We might never be more like Jesus than when we approach your brother or sister in this kind of way. We so often think, right, and hear the challenge here, Jacob Swell, we so often think that the godly thing to do, that the Jesus thing to do, is to just let that stuff go. It's just let it go. You don't see it. I'm going to love you enough to overlook your sin. Can I get someone to say, praise God, that Jesus did not overlook our sin and say, I love you enough to do absolutely nothing about it. This is not how our Savior approached us. He came and he said, I see your sin for what it is, which is the gravest danger to your mortal soul. He came and saw our wandering from truth for what it is and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He came and saw that without dealing with our sin, he would leave us eternally separated. So he put his body in the way. He put his body where ours belonged such that we might go free. And can you imagine for him what, it's look, what it looks like when we as Christians look at each other's sin, look at patterns of wandering in each other's lives, and we say, I'm going to be like Jesus right now and just not see it as that serious and just let you keep moving. This is not what it means to be Christ-like for one another. Because look, Here's why we don't do it. Let me be very clear on why we don't do this. One, this takes a lot of courage. This takes a lot of courage to do. Because here's what we fear. We call out someone else's stuff. What might happen? They call out ours, right? And that is a risk that we're being called to take. Do you hear in that, though, how my brother or sister's well-being and fighting against sin is bound up in mine? Do you see how that's probably a good thing, how that might actually end up being a profitable thing that if we open the door to this kind of correction in our relationship, that might be the best thing that ever happens in that relationship. It might hurt. You might regret it when they then call you out on your stuff, but suddenly you're actually living a true and genuine Christian relationship with one another. The other thing that, that makes this really hard is you got to have deep faith in the promises of God that this will actually be for the good of a brother or sister because we don't like to be called out in our sin and we know that what feels good and comfortable and lovely is when everybody overlooks our sin. And yeah, if they got to talk smack about us behind our backs, I'll take that. Just don't say it to me and embarrass me and shame me. But the promise of God is that this stuff only actually gets conquered when it's brought out into the light through confession of sin and through calling one another out. And it takes a belief that that's actually how sin is killed, that that's actually how love grows. And look, sometimes it takes some years behind you walking with Jesus to really believe something like this. Because I can tell you that the people with whom I most entrust myself absolutely are those who have most often called me out. Most particularly the laughing woman in the other room who calls me out consistently. But hear this, does it as my teammate, not my referee, who is on my team. Who gets that especially as, as husband and wife, that our perseverance is bound up in one another. And so that might be a hard thing to believe initially. I'm telling you, ask some of the, 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 the seasoned saints in our midst who they most entrust themselves to. And I guarantee you, it's those who are most willing to do this kind of work in their lives. But most of all, what this takes is love. Because this is what love actually requires, right? This is why, this is why God's wrath is not an offense to His love. It is wrapped up in His love. If God did not hate the things that most threaten us, His love would not be love. If I let every danger potential danger in my children's lives, just come because I don't want to bother them with warning them or I don't want to uh, inconvenience them by pulling them out of dangerous situations. You are right to call into question my love for them. And so often we leave the analogy there with parents and children or some kind of, no, this is true of friendships. This is true within community care groups. If we don't actually call out the stuff that threatens us, right? If you have a a deep friendship in your life that you can name a couple of patterns that harm other people, that harm them, that you have never directly engaged. Can I challenge you? Do that this week. Use this as an open door. Say, hey, I'm going to do the thing. You can break the ice by saying, can I be a booger friend for a second, right? Like, Use whatever you have to use from this Sunday and say, hey, there's something I've never talked to you about. And I realize that that's on me, but I love you too much to allow what we talked about this past Sunday to go by without just bringing it up. Right? And here's here's what I recommend. No one likes to be told for the last eight years you have done this repeatedly. Right? Like no one no one is meant to to bear up under that full weight or right? Like this is especially for husbands and wives. No one likes it. You always, right? Like no, none of that. What we have to get more used to doing is get really proximate to the thing that we are calling out, right? Like it's a way different thing to be told the night of, the day after, hey, something happened yesterday. That just it just rubbed me the wrong way, or or that I'm worried about you in, or um, to immediately call a brother or sister and say, hey, what you put on social, hey, I'm I'm not gonna enter into the the fray on your comments, but can can we just talk about that? And and here's what concerns me in that, or here's where I have questions about that, because the more proximate, the less that sting is to right because this is this is meant to be from a place of love now it might sting initially but we can mitigate some of that sting by saying i'm not going to take you know years and just plummet it on you and say i love you so much that i'm going to crush you right like that's not what we have in mind so this needs to be done thoughtfully this needs to be done in wisdom and and one of the just a little piece of wisdom i would give you is do this as proximate to the pattern that you're noticing as you possibly can. And the other thing that I would say is keep that teammate, not referee thing in mind. The, you, t- No one wants a close friend. No one wants a roommate. No one wants a spouse who's got the yellow flag just, just in their hand at all time, who has the whistle ready to blow on us at, at any given time. That's also why going way back in discipleship course to relational discipleship, that's why having patterns of checking in is just so wise. It's just so wise to have patterns because what ends up happening is these are few and far between. And When they happen, they're they're this big dust up. This is why it's so wise to create rhythms in your family. Create this with your children. Create this with with your close friends. Say, hey guys, how are we doing? Anything we need to talk about? Anything anyone wants to call out or bring up? That's just so much wiser than doing this occasionally when you've actually worked up the courage to do it. Because here's what all of this comes down to, is (laughs) we are merely participating in, in in a lesser work of a far greater work that's already happened for us, right? Our love and pursuit of one another is a responsive love and pursuit. We have all, we have all been called out in our sin. Do you realize that that's part of what the cross does? So often we think of the cross as merely about grace and mercy and all these things, but the cross is necessary because of you. It's necessary because of me. You are not who you are supposed to be. I am not who I'm supposed to be. If right, This is why in 1 John, there's a beautiful line where it says, if we say we have no sin, we make Jesus a liar. We make the cross a unnecessary. And so can we all start from the place that, hey, if, if I have a close friendship that something needs to be called out in, you've already been called out by the cross. You've already been called out by our shared commitment and faith that we are sinners in need of grace. And then we have been pursued with mercy and grace in that. And so we should do this from a place of mercy and grace. We don't stand above each other. We don't stand as judge of one another. This is something that James says around the light. He's like, the judge is at the door. You ain't the judge. And so if you do this from a place of, and I have perfect uh, knowledge of why you do this and where this, no, 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 no. This should be from gentleness and the grace and mercy that the cross also has first given us and then just hear hear the promise here that what we are doing for each other ultimately is we look this might hurt the day you do it on the day that you're both there in the kingdom face to face with jesus that's part of what he's getting at here and you have been participants in saving one another's souls that sting will be so far gone, it will actually be part of the joy of us getting there. And we, and in covering a multitude of sins, here's what, here's partially what that's getting at. Is it saying, yes, you cover, uh, th- this is language that's used of what Jesus does, is it, he covers our sin, he makes it, uh, uh, basically, you can think of it as invisible in God's judgment of us, which is craziness, right? Like we can do that for each other. What it's also saying is, we are covering that person's, Future sin that they would do without being called out by us. Right? Like, as much as we say, Where would I be without God? We should also be able to say, Where would I be without the warning? Where would I be without the challenge of this or that brother or sister? So, here's my last challenge to you. If that has happened in your life, if you look now and you say, Man, I would not be who I was today without this person speaking this into my life, would you just reach out to that person as an encouragement? That this actually doesn't destroy relationships, that this is part of the fabric of the strength of your relationships. Say, hey, this is what came to mind from James this morning for me. Was when you did this for me, I don't know where I would be. I'd still be probably in this mess, or it would have gotten even worse. The thing that I love about this passage, not only is it a beautiful, beautiful conclusion to this letter, but it is a wonderful, like a perfect providential bridge into where we're headed next. We're about to head into the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, let me just do a quick sort of intro to that. The book of Hebrews is all about how to persevere in faith when you're tempted to wander. And what Hebrews will do again and again, and it'll, it'll call us to two things. It'll say, you gotta see how beautiful and, and more attractive than any shiny thing in this world Jesus is. It'll point us to Jesus again and again. And then it will also say, and you, you gotta you gotta see that your salvation is bound up in the salvation of others. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, salvation is not something the the wrong question in the way that hebrews talks about salvation is not when were you saved right? Like that that's how we talk about it in modern evangelicalism is I was saved when I was this age and, and there's truth in that and, and Hebrews doesn't want to do that but it mostly sees salvation as something that we are persevering towards. That we will be saved on that day that we see Jesus face to face and what Hebrews will say is you are not in your own little boat alone trying to make it there. There is a crew around you and you only get there together. And there's a lot of nuance to that and there's a lot more there. But I love that James ends here because I do think that this is something, especially in a season where we are isolated, where we are frames, little square frames on a Zoom call, we can lose this. And this is something I want us, Jacob's well, to recapture over the next five or six months as we start to see one another and start to move back, is that we are bound up with one another. We don't get in apart from one another. Again, I could caveat that to death, but that is where Hebrews will lead us. That that's how much... We are bound together as the people of God. And there's dignity and promise and joy in that. And this feels like a wonderful launching point from that. We're about to break up into our community care groups. Um, Rachel's going to give you a little prompt. Um, I think it'll probably just be something like, hey, from these last few weeks, we talked a lot about the vision of Christian community that James is setting out, just what stood out for you. That's a wonderful thing to talk about about those who are geographically closest to you, those that that are in this, this the way we do small groups here at Jacobswell. Um, that would be a, a wonderful launching point. Let me pray for you uh, even as you consider that and as we prepare for those breakouts. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did not leave us in our sin. I thank you that you did not overlook sin that you did not um, prioritize our comfort and security and ease, that you did not prioritize um, us saving face in some kind of a way, but Lord, that you came and you dealt with it. You called it what it was. You put your body, you put everything at risk to actually war against the thing that most threatens all of us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as a church, we would feel the enormous um, dignity and responsibility of these words from James, of what we'll look at over the next number of months in Hebrews, Lord, that you call us to do that for one another now, not in an ultimate sense, but Lord, in a day in and day out, week in and week out sense, Lord. I pray that we would be um, more faithful people. I pray that we would get to the end and be able to look around us and say, thank you that you locked arms with me and that we got here together. Lord, help us not to turn away from patterns of wandering in each other's lives. And to overlook them thinking that we're loving one another when actually um, it may be the exact opposite. Um, God, let love cover a multitude of sins, not passively, but actively. Lord, go with us now even as we have conversations uh, around these things, Lord. Would this be a blessed time uh, with some folks, Lord, that I pray would increasingly know us um, and that we, uh, we would know them more deeply. Thank you for the power of your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.